pit of my stomach is churning. My neck and shoulders are tense. I don't have any energy. My whole body is out of whack. If you felt like that, or if you feel like that, keep listening. Welcome to episode 204 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Patricia, Lucy, Chris, and Elizabeth. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Patricia, Lucy, Chris, and Elizabeth, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand, as perhaps few others can. My name is Spencer, and I'm your host today. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experience. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. I wanted to start with a reading, as usual. This is from our daily reader, Courage to Change. This is from January 21. Before Al-Anon, I could never tell the difference between what was and what was not my business. I felt I had to take care of everyone around me until I couldn't stand it anymore. I usually kept this up until I became physically ill. My body tried to tell me to pay attention to my own needs, but I simply wasn't ready to listen. Al-Anon helps me to listen and learn from my body, my soul, and my higher power. How do I do it? I try to check in with myself on a regular basis. Am I hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? If so, I can make a point of stopping what I'm doing long enough to attend to my needs. When I pay attention to the messages I'm being given, I have a better chance of detaching from other people and situations, should that be appropriate. For me, this is the foundation of serenity. Today's reminder, I no longer have to wait until my health, my financial situation, or my emotional state collapses before paying attention to my needs. Today, I can practice becoming more aware of what my inner voice is trying to teach me, I can listen and learn. And I feel like that, I feel like that reading captures my journey really from pre-recovery into recovery as it relates to my health, the health of my body and how well I take care of it. Living with alcoholism or addiction affects us in many ways. I think the standard description in our literature says it's a threefold disease, physical, mental, and spiritual. We spend a fair amount of time in this podcast talking about the mental and spiritual aspects of living with addiction, but I don't know if I've ever really covered or focused on the physical aspects of this family disease. I'm going to focus on it from my own experience because that's the only experience I have. So I'd like to encourage you, if you have felt the effects of alcoholism in your body, to share that with us, to go to the recovery.show slash contact and use the voicemail, the email, or any other method to share your experience with us, because our shared experience will touch more people than just my personal experience and musings on this topic. So I guess I'll start by looking at the ways in which my body was affected by the alcoholism in my house. This is in the order that I thought of things, I guess, not necessarily in the in the order of importance, if you will. I spent a lot of time lying awake at night, fretting, worrying, planning, not exactly planning, but living as I've heard it said, living in the wreckage of the future, living in the destruction of the past, being sometimes simultaneously 
anxious about what might happen, angry about what has happened, in despair about what appeared to be the darkness ahead, keeping me awake, start to fall asleep, and then another thought wanders into my mind, and boom, there I am, back awake again. So, of course, as a result of either not being able to get to sleep or waking up in the middle of the night and then fretting for an hour or so, I tended to be tired and sleepy a lot of the time. And also, as we know, lack of sleep, being tired, makes me more vulnerable to getting sick. And I can't point at any particular illness. And I had, you know, the typical colds and whatnot. I can't point to any particular incident and say, oh, well, that's because I was lying awake, fretting about what was going on with my alcoholic. But I also can say with some confidence that I would not have gotten sick as much if I had been taking better care of myself, if I had not been running my health down by not taking care of myself, by not getting enough sleep and, and all the other things. Another physical effect that I had is that, I don't know, feeling that's described as a, a knot in my stomach or a gnawing in the pit of my guts. You know, it's a physical feeling. I don't know if there's like any actual thing that's happening, but it, I feel it there. I feel it there, and and it just takes me away from being able to fully participate in life, from fully being able to participate in work, from fully being able to participate in play, such as it was, from being able to fully participate in what's going on around me, spending time with friends or family, because there's this thing chewing away at my stomach all the time. You know, and that comes again from, from awfulizing, catastrophizing, Oh my God, this horrible thing's going to happen. What am I going to do? And then my stomach clenches up a little bit more. Worrying about the present, walking up to the mailbox and wondering if there's going to be another bill in there. Because during the alcoholic years, well, I was mostly in charge of paying the bills because she was mostly in charge of drinking. And I wasn't doing a real good job of it. I would leave things to the last minute and then forget to pay them. And so then I would be in fear of a past due notice. And so almost anything, you know, opening the mailbox, walking into the bank, pulling out my wallet and seeing how much money is in it and wondering, can I buy lunch today? Just, you know, there goes that stomach, just a little bit tighter, a little bit queasier. And then there was the anger and resentment. Anger at the situation that we were in. Resentment of the drinking. Resentment of My past actions, her past actions, everybody's past actions that brought us to where we were, that just made me tense up, made my muscles clench, made my shoulders crunch, my neck stiffen, and just walking around like that all the time, not being able to relax. How can I relax when things are horrible? And so then, of course, that leads to being stiff, being in pain, Pain in the neck leads to pain in the back, and and pain in the back leads to pain in the legs. And so now am I not only I'm walking around in fear with my stomach just grinding away, but also I'm in I'm in pain from from being all tense and stiff, all clenched up all over. And because I spent so much time and energy worrying and fretting and not exactly planning, scheming about how we were gonna get out of this, if only I spent all all my energy on that, and I didn't have energy for other things. And because I didn't have energy, well, I didn't want to go exercise because that takes energy. I didn't have energy 
to eat well, didn't have energy to make nutritious meals. And so there was a lot of junk food or a lot of pre-packaged food, a lot of frozen food that is not the, not the best from a, a health standpoint, a lot of fat and salt, a lot of calories. So I gained weight. I think over the course of living with active alcoholism, I probably gained 30 or 40 pounds. And I didn't like it, but I didn't feel like I could do anything about it. I just didn't have the energy to do anything different. And all of that, no exercise, junk food, gaining weight, means I have even less energy. And it's a bit of a vicious circle there. It really is. But what can I do? I just, I have to focus. I have to focus on this alcoholic situation. I have to focus on getting my loved one sober. That's all I, all I can do. Can't take care of myself. And then there were the things that contributed that I did that to, to, to try to dull the pain. And, and I think eating was part of that. Friends of mine have talked about eating to dull the pain. And, you know, when I'm not feeling all together, when I'm lonely, when I'm sad, you know, eating, eating is good. Eating, eating makes me feel good. And also drinking. I did my own share of drinking during those years because that also dulls the pain. Of course, it causes other pain. It causes other effects on the body. It causes other ill feelings. So all that together, just as I was not dealing with the situation, I was trying to to shove it down, to frantically fix it in ways that weren't working, to worry about it, to fret about it because I wasn't being able to fix it. All those things had a really negative impact on on my body, on the health of my body, on the way I felt from day to day, from moment to moment. So it's not just, you know, the mental feeds the physical and the spiritual. The physical also feeds the mental and the spiritual. And when when those are on the decline, when my when my physical health is declining, so are my mental and spiritual health. And as I was to find when I came into recovery, thank goodness, the reverse of that is also true. That as I started to work on my mental and spiritual health, I was then able to become more healthy physically. Some of it directly by taking better care of myself. Some of it indirectly by maybe removing some of the ways in which I was driving my physical health down. I've got some readings from the book Courage to Change, some other readings that connect here for me. I want to start with this one from August 16th. During stressful periods, it can be tempting to skip a meal, push ourselves until we are totally exhausted, and generally ignore our basic needs. In the midst of crisis, taking time out for an al meeting, a call to a sponsor, or a breath of fresh air may seem like a waste of all too precious moments. There don't seem to be enough hours in a day, and something has to go. But are we choosing widely? At the very time we most need to take good care of ourselves, we are likely to do the opposite. If we decide that our needs are unimportant, or that we're too busy, we sabotage our own best interests. In times of crisis, we need to be at our best. By making an extra effort to get nutritious food, sleep, al support, relaxation, and quiet time with our higher power, we strengthen ourselves physically, emotionally, and spiritually. This can make a difficult situation a little easier. And in the reminder, it says, I am the only one who can make my well-being my top priority. I owe it to myself to pay attention to the needs of my body, mind, and spirit. And I think it was people saying things like that, letting me recognize what I had been doing and the way in which I had been doing had been driving me down, helped me to make the first steps 
towards physical recovery from the effects of alcoholism on my life. I am one of those people who finds it tempting to, as the reading says, skip a meal, push myself until I'm exhausted, and ignore my basic needs. We're taking time out for taking care of myself seems a waste of all too precious moments, as the reading says. And I need that reminder. I need that reminder from the program that I need to take care of myself. If I don't take care of myself, you know, if I'm letting myself go, if I'm not taking care of myself because I think that I need to take care of the people around me, I'm actually not doing that. Because if I don't take care of myself, I can't take care of the people around me. So even in my codependency fed need to to take care of people, I need to take care of myself first. How did recovery change things for me? As I said earlier, taking care of my mental and spiritual needs then made room for me to be able to take care of my physical needs because of this, there's not time. There's no time. I have to do all these things and there's no time for me to to eat well. There's no time for me to exercise. There's no time for me to sleep. When I was able to start letting go of the things that I thought I needed to fix, the things that I thought I needed to fix about my loved one and about her drinking, when I started letting go of those things, I got a little less frantic, and I found that I had a little bit more time for myself. When I can let go and let God, I can loosen that knot of worry. When I'm able to say, this is not mine. This is my higher powers. This is my loved one's higher powers and hers to take care of. This is not something I can do anything about. I can unclench my stomach a little bit. I can sleep a little bit better. And I might have to do that over and over. While I'm trying to get to sleep, I might have to say the serenity prayer over and over to accept the things I cannot change and to have faith that the things that are outside my control will work out and that even if they don't work out the way I want them to, that I can still be okay. To have that little bit of faith lets me get to sleep. I heard this message, take care of yourself. Here's a reading from July 21st. The people I love won't take care of themselves, so I have to do it. How will they survive unless I... That This was my thinking when I came to Al-Anon, my excuse for interfering in everyone's business. My needs seemed so unimportant compared to the constant crises all around me. Al-Anon told me that I had other options, one of which was to let go and let God. When I think of letting go, I remind myself that there is a natural order to life, a chain of events that a higher power has in mind. When I let go of a situation, I allow life to unfold according to that plan. I open my mind and let other ways of thinking or behaving enter in. When I let go of another person, I am affirming their right to live their own life, to make their own choices, and to grow as they experience the results of their action. A higher power exists for others as well. My obsessive interference disrupts not only my connection with them, but also my connection with my spiritual self. And today's reminder there says, I am my top priority. I need to keep the focus on myself and let other people find their own path. So then I heard this message about taking care of myself. Here's here's a reading that speaks to that. When I'm trying to tackle a tough problem or cope with a stressful situation and I've done all I can for the moment, what then? I can do something that will nurture my mind, body, or spirit. Perhaps I'll take a walk or listen to music. Maybe I'll meet a friend for coffee and conversation. I could have something nutritious to eat or sit quietly and meditate or read a book. Al-Anon is a program of action in which we recognize that we have choices about what we do with our time. A bubble bath, a massage, an Al-Anon call, a bike ride, or a nap. 
might be constructive ways to fill time that might otherwise be wasted on worry. Even though I may be powerless to change my circumstances, I certainly am not helpless. I can use my time to do something good for myself. When I treat myself with love and tenderness, I am better able to deal with the challenges that life presents. I have a chance to feel good, even when surrounded by crisis. And the reminder is one of my primary responsibilities is to take care of myself. I will find a small way to do something for my mind, body, and spirit today. And so I started to hear that, that, that message. And I started to think about the ways in which I had not been taking care of my physical health in particular. I started to look at the way that I was eating. I started to look at my weight gain. I started to look at my lack of exercise and I started to say, what can I do? What can I do to make a change here? And I think the first place that I really started to make a change was in eating. And I, I just, I did the very simplest thing that I could do, which was to start keeping track of what I ate. And the amazing thing for me is, is when I did that, just the fact that I was keeping track made me less likely to pick up a bag of chips, made me less likely to drink a can of pop, made me less likely to have that extra serving at dinner that I didn't need. That serving that I was taking because it fed me emotionally, not because it fed me physically. I tried not to shame myself. I tried to just keep track. And of course, you know, when I would go over my allotment, I just, I had a, a calorie counting program on my, on my smartphone. And so I just put in what I ate and it would tell me how many calories and how many I had left in my quota for the day, my budget for the day. And I could go over, I could choose to go over, or I could choose, I could stay under. Yeah, there's a little bit of pressure when that number goes up, even though it's just my phone. I still feel like somebody's watching. And that was a positive, actually a positive thing. And I, I started to lose weight just by doing that. It was, I know that doesn't work for everybody, but it did work for me. Just by focusing a little bit on taking care of myself, I could get to bed on time. I could you know, wake up on time. One of the things and this might just be because I'm getting older, or it might actually be an effect of, of taking care, an effect of getting enough sleep most of the time, which is that I tend to wake up in the morning when I need to wake up without an alarm. And I feel like waking up on my own, I feel more rested, even if, maybe if I got the same amount of sleep than if I'm jolted out of sleep by an alarm. So that's another, another piece of taking care of my physical self there that is working for me right now. Obviously, if I was staying up late or if I was waking up in the middle of the night and not getting back to sleep, then I'm less likely to wake up on time and I might need to set the alarm. So it all, it all interconnects very much. At some point, and I think I kind of chronicled that actually in the podcast here, I said, I really need to have an organized program of exercise. I'm getting to the point where walking up a flight of stairs tires me out. I'm getting to the point where if I try to run half a block to the bus stop. I'm just all out of breath and breathing hard and it takes me a long time to recover. And this is not, this is not who I want to be. This is not the way I want to be. The program told me that I can make changes. I can, I can ask my higher power to help me on this. I can make a commitment to myself. And somehow, in contrast to past times when I set myself up to exercise regularly, I've been able to keep to the one been able to keep to this more recently. And I'm not sure why that is. And I think it just, it may have to do with just my growth in recovery, my understanding that 
as I take care of all parts of me, it actually feeds all parts of me. That by taking care of my spiritual health, I can take care of my physical health and vice versa. And I was, I was reminded of this recently. I was reminded of how my body self affects my mental self and my spiritual self recently. A friend was talking about, about breathing. He said, I took voice lessons in high school. And for the first lesson, the teacher put her hand on my belly and said, breathe. And talked to me about the way in which my body moves when I breathe. About the way that I can breathe most deeply and effectively for singing. And then she had put me put my hand on her belly, which was a little weird. And I could feel how her belly changed as she breathed. And we practiced breathing for the whole lesson until the very end where I got to sing one note. And I was like, I want to sing. And that's what's this breathing thing. Okay, maybe this is important. And then he said, I took up the flute. And you know what happened in that first lesson? I practiced breathing, practiced producing breath in the right way, in the best way to make the flute do its thing. And again, although it was frustrating because I wanted to play the flute, not to breathe, and I already did the breathing thing for singing, isn't that enough? I had some notion that, yeah, this was important, and so I did it. And then I took cello lessons. And in my very first lesson, the teacher started out by saying, so it's all about the breath. And I was like, what? No, this is a cello. There's no breath involved. But of course it is, because moving the breath with the music changes the expression of the music. So breathing is important in a lot of things. This connects also on Saturday at my step meeting. We were on step 11. And in a couple of parts of the reading in the book, Paths to Recovery, it talks about breathing, breathing and meditation in particular. And I know that if I take a deep breath, consciously take a deep breath and then let it out, I can let the tension, the distress, the not quite rightness in my body, I can let that out with the breath and I can feel more at ease more relaxed. And I might have to do that a few times. Just take in a breath and then let it out. And let out, let out the darkness, let out the worry. I can put myself in a better place to start my prayer and meditation, but I can also just put myself in a place where my body is more comfortable. And it seems so simple. How does just breathing do that? But it does. It absolutely does. A little bit here from the book, How Elanon Works. This is from the chapter titled, Taking Care of Ourselves. There's a section headed, Treating Ourselves Well. It says, it takes a firm commitment to make our own well-being a priority. In the past, some of us neglected to care for ourselves because we were waiting for someone else to take care of us. And some of us were so concerned with another person's well-being that we failed to attend to our own. But in Al-Anon, we are learning to take responsibility for tending to our needs. And I think that word responsibility is important to me. I spent so long, quote, taking responsibility for someone else's needs that weren't really mine to take care of, to take responsibility for. And it wasn't really responsibility. It was trying to control and fix that I neglected 
my responsibility, my primary responsibility to take care of myself. In particular, for this episode, the section titled Our Physical Health says, We might consider what we can do to improve and maintain good health. Our physical bodies require rest, exercise, a nutritious diet, and appropriate medical care. And all of these are areas that merit conscientious planning. Something as simple as a daily walk can make a tremendous difference in the way we feel. Perhaps we will get an occasional massage or take a few minutes for a nap when we are tired. If we often skip meals because we can't seem to squeeze them into our busy schedules, we can make an effort to block out mealtimes in advance and treat those time commitments with the same respect we would give to any other appointment. When we are ill, we learn to take proper care of ourselves, cutting down on our activities, drinking extra fluids, getting the rest we need, and seeing a doctor when necessary, even if illness strikes at an inconvenient time. By attending to our physical needs, we go a long way toward making our lives more manageable. You know, there's a lot in those couple of short paragraphs. Think about uh, getting, what does it say here? Our physical bodies require appropriate medical care. So sometime around the time I came into this program, my medical insurance changed and I had to find a new doctor. And I spent a couple of years procrastinating about finding a new doctor just because it was work and I didn't have the energy to do it. You know, I finally did. And it was a good thing because there were some things that needed to be taken care of that I would not have found as soon, at least, without going to the doctor for my regular annual checkup, whether I liked it or not. And there were certainly some things that I didn't like. But it's important for me to take care of myself, like it says here, because I do want to be around for a while. This thing about commitment to meals, blocking out time for meals, making it a regular schedule is, again, is something that is really important. And, and it's something that I think, at least when the, when my kids were growing up, when our kids were growing up, we committed pretty well to having dinner at a regular time with the kids, you know, family dinner. Whether they were actually pleasant activities or not during the drinking years, we, we did do that. And now that kids are gone and it's just me and my wife, I really try to keep keep that up. It's important to fit, not to fit, to make a commitment to have that in my day, to make a commitment to have lunch every day, whether it fits into my work schedule or not. Sometimes I get meetings through lunch and I always make sure to have something at about that time. Maybe I eat it during the meeting. It's a way of taking care of myself. Treat those time commitments with the same respect we would give to any other appointment. Somehow, sometimes work commitments, commitments to other people, feel more important than commitments to myself. This paragraph gives me permission to say, no, that's not true. The commitments I make to myself, the commitments I make for my own well-being are just as important or maybe more important. And, and that's important words for me to hear. And this last sentence, oh, by attending to our physical needs, we go a long way toward making our lives more manageable. I did not understand how much my physical ill-being, if I can use that word, contributed to the unmanageability of my life before I found this recovery program. How do I keep taking care of myself? How do I keep my well-being as a priority? This reading from December 19th from the book Courage to Change has, I think, some hints here. It says, Alcoholism is threefold, physical, emotional, and spiritual disease. 
Because I've been affected by another's alcoholism, I check on my own physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being by asking myself, is my physical well-being a priority? Do I eat well and get enough sleep? When was the last time I had a checkup or went to a dentist? Do I keep myself clean, take breaks, exercise? Do I ask for or give a hug when I need to? Am I growing more aware of my feelings? Do I have a sponsor and Al-Anon friends to help me through the rough times? Can I celebrate when things go well? Am I taking time to enjoy myself? Is any of the attention I once gave to negative thinking now focused on gratitude? Do I have a relationship with a power greater than myself? If not, am I willing to give it a try? Do I make time for prayer and meditation? Am I more willing to ask for help? Do I regularly attend Al-Anon meetings, read Al-Anon literature, and apply the steps and other tools to my everyday life? Do I recognize and acknowledge my growth? And the reminder from that reading says, By simply taking inventory of my self-care habits, I am beginning to improve them. That's a, that's a good checklist there. I've got to bookmark that one. I like that it covers the whole sort of spectrum from physical, emotional, spiritual, because they do all interact. That when I'm healthy physically, it's easier for me to be healthy emotionally and spiritually. And when I'm healthy emotionally or spiritually, it's easier for me to keep my my physical health. So some of the things that I do, I talked about breathing, meditation. Meditation lets me practice being still. The sort of frantic pace of modern life builds tension in my body, builds stress in my body. And by taking time to just be still, I can start to relax that stress, that tension, and actually improve my body health. I used to do this thing that I would take my blood pressure in the morning. I had just been put on medication for high blood pressure, and so I would take my blood pressure in the morning. And I found that if I took it after even a five-minute meditation, it was lower. I had a great example of this recently in my most recent checkup with my doctor. I went in, and as usual, the nurse weighed me, and I'm you know, a little like stressed about, do I weigh too much? Do I weigh more than I want to? Okay, we'll just be there. And then we go in, and she takes my blood pressure, and I'm like, oh my God, is it going to be high? And of course, it is a little bit high. I'm like, ah, okay, you know, whatever. And then my doctor comes in and, and we talk and she does some of the exam and she says, okay, so your blood pressure reading at the beginning was a little high. I just want to take it again and confirm it. And at this point I have relaxed. I like my doctor and she's really good at not making things stressful, I guess is a way to put it. She's just a good, good, good bedside manner, good benchside manner, whatever it is. So she takes my blood pressure. And she says, that can't be right. I'm going to do that again. And she takes it again, and it has dropped, like, I don't know, 20 points or something. Okay? When my emotional and spiritual health is good, it can really enhance my physical health. Just in the space of like 10 or 15 minutes there, my blood pressure dropped significantly from kind of borderline to bang right in the middle. That just, I mean, it surprised both of us. You know, she had to take it twice and it's like, nope, same number second time. I guess we're doing okay. Awesome. So meditation can help. The reading, I think the first reading talked about checking in, the hungry, angry, lonely, tired check-in. Am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Am I tired? Because if I'm any one of those things or any combination of those things, it's going to affect me. 
So those are mostly physical. Okay, lonely, maybe not. Angry has physical aspects. But hungry and tired, those are physical. And when I am those things, it affects my ability to function. It affects my ability to be, to have my life be manageable. And so I need to check in, say, how am I doing? Do I need to take a snack? Do I need to take a rest? Do I need to just step back? Do I need to sit down? Am I being less than my whole self right now? I think the bottom line for me in terms of taking care of my body so that my body can take care of me and learning how to do that in recovery and learning how to recover from the effects that alcoholism had on my body, on my body self. It really means putting my health and my well-being ahead of just about everything else in my life. Because if I don't have those, I can't be the, the best person that I need to be. You know, and to put on my own oxygen mask, to use that well-worn analogy, that when I take care of myself, when I put my oxygen mask on, then I'm actually more able to help the people that I want to help, support the people that I want to support, than if I try to support them to help them while I'm dying of lack of oxygen. Learning to support instead of control, and this is this is more mental, emotional, spiritual, but it's important for me to avoid that tension, that stress, that anger, that resentment when I'm trying to make something go the way I want it to go that is not going to go the way I want it to go because it involves another person. And it involves me trying to make another person be who I want them to be. Whereas if I can, I can lend support when, when asked to help another person become who they want to be and I can accept their path, my physical health is better. Also, again, in the emotional, spiritual, practicing gratitude and acceptance help to reduce the stress that leads to physical illness in my life that actually enhances my physical health. I had a tough, a little bit of a tough time picking music for this episode. I'm, I'm sure there are just awesome songs out there about how being emotionally upset makes us physically sick um, and vice versa. The uh, the first song that I picked is by Lissy. It's titled In Sleep. This speaks to me about those nights when I was not in sleep, when I was not getting to sleep or when I was waking up and not getting back to sleep. Some lyrics, I lay awake at night and pray not to see the light of day, and I wonder how to behave right. He has left me such a mess, counting to protest, my mind can't get no rest. And my mind was not getting no rest back in the days before I found Eleanor. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our life in recovery, what's happening in our meetings and our life this week. I talked already a little bit about my Saturday morning step meeting, step 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. My focus in my share was on on the meditation part. The reading that we used at my meeting on Sunday from May 28th starts out, I have heard it said that the only valid comparisons are between myself as I am and myself as I used to be. There's an anecdote in there 
about rushing to get to meditation because the person was late and getting in an accident. And the the irony of rushing to meditation, uh, I think, was not lost on anybody. And to me, it also speaks to that question of how important is it? Is it important enough to be on time for meditation that I risk my life in doing so? Where are my priorities there? But the thing that I, the thing that I shared about last night was was in the first sentence about comparison between myself as I am and myself as I used to be. The value for me of doing that, but also the fact that I have to make a conscious effort to make that comparison. Because if I just look at myself as I am, I still see the flaws ahead of the the attributes. I still see the ways in which I don't match up to my perfect image of what I want to be. And I don't see how far I've come from where I was. And sometimes it just takes somebody sharing in a meeting for me to say, oh, wow, I used to do that and I don't now. Or I used to feel that way and I don't now. Or I used to respond and react that way and I don't now. But I also reflected on the value of doing a formal inventory every now and then. I've done two since I've been in the program. And being able to look at how my responses to the questions have changed. And to be able to look at how I might answer that question today and how that's different from five years ago or 15 years ago, whatever it was. And how valuable that can be for seeing my progress. I'm starting soon, hopefully, uh, with a group to do another pass through the steps together using the book Paths to Recovery and the questions in that book. And I will go out and I will buy myself a nice bound journal to start writing my answers to those questions as I've done both times in the past so that I can go back and look when I need to to see the progress. And the progress is there, but I I often have to look for it. I have to be conscious about looking for it. So it was a good meeting. In my daily life, I think the main way in which I use the program in my life this week is just in going with the flow. I was supposed to meet up with a coworker for some coffee on Thursday and the time came and I went, I was in the appointed place and the coworker didn't show up. Part of me was like, huh, guess I'm not important. But part of me was thought, well, I'm sure that there's some valid reason why, why he's not showing up here. As it turned out, the next day I got a message from him saying, sorry, I was really sick yesterday and I didn't, couldn't even let you know I wasn't going to be there. But for me, as I was waiting, I wasn't fretting. I wasn't stewing. I wasn't being resentful. And when I decided that the guy wasn't showing, I went back to work. And it was okay. And that, to me, is this program in action in a very small way. But it was this program in action. How have you felt the unmanageability of your life? How has alcoholism in your loved one affected you physically? And how have you found relief and recovery? Please share your experience, strength, and hope with us. Join our conversation. You can call and leave a voicemail at 734-707-8795. 
You can use the voicemail button on our website to join the conversation from your computer. If you prefer not to use your voice, you can send email to feedback at therecovery.show. And our website is therecovery.show. We have notes for each episode about the topics we talk about and links to music videos for the songs. Also in the notes, which will be at therecovery.show slash 204, because this is episode 204, I will list the various readings that I used. So if you need to want to go look them up in the book Courage to Change or in how Al-Anon works, you will be able to find them. Okay, I'm going to take a little break before looking at your emails, your contributions to our conversation, and the second Musical selection, which is available on the website at therecovery.show slash 204, is the song Aftermath by R.E.M. And this is another one of my unmanageability, my fretting, my unhappiness is affecting my ability to live my physical life. Some lyrics again, there is no doubt, it's this here now, and you close your eyes, he's not coming back. So you work it out. Overfeed the cat. The plants are dry and they need to drink. So you do your best and you flood the sink. Sit down in the kitchen and cry. Wow, unmanageable. And the physical, in this case, sort of the external physical life is kind of going to heck because the internal life is unmanageable. Got an email from Chris She writes, Hi, Spencer and the rest of the Recovery Show team. I found your podcast a few weeks ago when I was searching for detachment information due to a very difficult personal situation I'm going through. I started working on my own recovery through the Celebrate Recovery 12-step program at a local church and have been using your podcast recordings as an additional resource to help me understand how to process my own recovery using the 12 steps, since it's very clear I am powerless over my qualifiers' actions, words, and destructive patterns, and must depend on God to help me find my own sanity and health despite my qualifiers' choices. One of the podcasts I wanted to review was number 20, Forcing Solutions. I don't see a section on the page to listen or download. Can you help me out? I went and looked at number 20, and sure enough, the little player and download link was not there on the web page, and I really don't know why. Um, it's supposed to just show up because the podcast episode is attached to that web post, and I was able to force it to show up by inserting a little extra code that says put, put the podcast player here. But that, of course, then raises the question for me, well, how many of the other 200 and something episodes are missing their player on the website. And so if you find one that is missing its player, please let me know so I can fix it because I can fix it. The other option is if you've subscribed to the podcast and you are not sure how to subscribe to the podcast, I suggest go to the website in the menu at the top of the page. There's a subscribe link and just Click or tap on that, and there's a bunch of information there about how to subscribe, depending what kind of device you're listening on, whether it's your computer or a phone or something, an iPhone, an Android tablet, etc. So, where was I? Oh, if you're subscribed, the episode 20 does show up in the list in iTunes or shows up in the list in your podcast app on your phone or wherever. 
but it wasn't showing up on the website. So please let me know if you, if you spot that situation and I'll fix it as quickly as I can. Chris continues, even though my qualifier is not an alcoholic, the behaviors he exhibits are similar. I'm so grateful for your podcast because the information you've provided weekly from the point of view of the person who has to deal with this destructive behavior of others has been extremely helpful to understand my situation, find ways to live within it, and have a frame of reference to make better choices for myself, along with making better response choices as well. I will be sending a donation as a token of my appreciation. Thanks again and blessings to you and all your guest hosts, Chris from Atlanta. Thank you, Chris, for for writing about the problem. And thank you for your donation. Jen left a very short suggestion on our topics page. Again, in the menu at the top of any of the web pages, there's a topics link and, and you can go see topics that have been suggested and that it's not completely up to date. It's, I'm supposed to have put like the numbers of the episodes where those topics were covered in the list and I'm, I'm way behind, I'm afraid, but there's a lot, there's a lot of topics there and I keep getting more. She suggests three P's perfectionism, procrastination, and paralysis. Okay, so I don't know about you, but I totally identify with those three Ps. So if you've got thoughts, experience, strength, hope about perfectionism, procrastination, and paralysis, let us know. Hey, send an email, leave a voicemail, record a message on your phone and email it to us, any of those things that you can do. That sounds like a great episode. It'll be a lot of fun, I'm sure. Chris wrote again in response to the Adult Children of Alcoholics episode, which was number 203. You can always go to therecovery.show slash number, so therecovery.show slash 203 to find it directly. Hello again, Spencer. I was so pleased to listen to your recent podcast, number 203, Adult Children of Alcoholics. I am the child of a child of an alcoholic. My mom was very emotionally and verbally abusive during my youth. Thankfully, I entered therapy as an adult to finally be on the healthy side of living my own life, and she entered therapy when I was 16. It took a few years to build trust between us, but we now have a great relationship. My husband, however, is another story. He is also the child of a child of an alcoholic and is currently in complete denial about his emotionally and verbally abusive behaviors. Despite going through three marriage counselors and several other programs, my husband refuses to take responsibility for his part of our problems, so our marriage continues to be full of conflict and chaos. Over the last few years of dealing with his destructive behaviors and words, I became emotionally exhausted, increasingly angry to the point of rage, and at one point lost myself so clearly that I told God if he wasn't going to fix the situation to please take me in my sleep so that I could finally be released from it. That low point and my complete acknowledgement of how powerless I was prompted a friend of mine to suggest my attending a 12-step program called Celebrate Recovery. I received my 30-day chip two weeks ago, and I'm working on my 60-day now. That program, in addition to your podcast recordings, helped me understand how to process my own recovery and rebuild my trust that God really does have a plan and will help me find my own sanity and joy despite my husband's choices. The information you and Emily shared in episode 203 gave me several more resources I can tap into to support my recovery. Thank you again for producing the recovery show as a valuable resource to anyone walking their journey of recovery, regardless of what they are recovering from. All the best to you and to the rest of your team, Chris from Atlanta. Thank you, Chris, and I'm glad that we were able to provide some help and support. Shannon also wrote about 203. Thank you, thank you, thank you for this episode. I would love to find a meeting around me, but they are either far from me about an hour or more, or held during a weekday and I have to work. 
I have recently looked into the In the Rooms website for an online meeting. My father was an alcoholic when I was growing up, and I have discovered within the past couple of years that my mother is not only codependent, but an addict herself. I am unsure of what exactly she is addicted to, but believe it is heroin. The way that I discovered about my mom is that she went into my house and stole my previous wedding rings to pawn. I also wound up having to have the state intervene so that I could take my teenage brother and sister as she was leaving them alone with no food in the house or utilities. It's been a crazy time, to say the least. I am a parent of two children who are very close to my mother. I now limit my contact with my mother, and they are rarely allowed to see her. It is so helpful to hear that I am not alone. So thank you again, Shannon. I just have to say thank you, Emily. I could not have done that episode without you. And I'm glad that that we're touching people with it. Kim also responds to episode 203. She writes, Hi, Spencer. I hope this finds you well. This is Kim in California. I listened to episode 203 today and enjoyed it so much. For some reason, I had gotten very busy and hadn't listened to your show for over a week, which is very unusual for me. I've been wanting to and knowing it would really fill me up as it always does, but just couldn't seem to take the time. It's interesting because I could really feel the difference in my life having so many days go by without hearing recovery. I love reading it, but I find I need to hear it in the spoken word too. I was looking forward to listening to today's show this morning as I got ready for my day, and it did not disappoint. Until I pulled it up, I had no idea that it would be on adult children of alcoholics. Once I saw that this was the subject, I became intrigued. I am an ACA and could really relate to so much of what was said. My mother was my first qualifier, and then my two long-term marriages were also to alcoholics. I don't know why, but I still feel such guilt when admitting out loud that my mom was an alcoholic. It feels disloyal somehow. She was so good to me in so many ways, and she was so much more than that. Thankfully, Al-Anon has helped me see that and know that it wasn't her choice. It wasn't the life she envisioned for herself. For me, that took the anger I had felt as a child and then teenager and young adult and turned it into compassion and understanding. It's weird. It's like the anger just dissipated. I heard Emily address so many things I have questioned and wondered about as to the differences between ACA and the Al-Anon programs and the similarities as well, too. I, too, find that there is a difference between growing up in an alcoholic family and having a partner, sibling, or child who is an alcoholic. When we grow up with the disease, we learn these behaviors and coping mechanisms at a very early age, and they become so ingrained in us. They become who we are. So many of the things she mentioned, people-pleasing, being afraid of authority, ultra-responsible, and on and on. And then if we as adults who grew up with the disease also enter into an alcoholic marriage or relationship, we bring these behaviors with us. Usually, not very healthy or productive. I became an RN because of my absolute need to help and fix I became both a critical care and emergency room nurse, and I thrived on spending my days trying to bring order and calm to my ICU and the ER patients. I felt totally responsible for their lives, and I loved it, all while being married to an alcoholic and raising two small children. And then everything came crashing down, and without recovery, I stayed with the profession but left my marriage and became a single parent of two young daughters. It wasn't until almost 20 years later, as my second marriage was in crisis because of the disease, that I found the blessed rooms of Al-Anon. The day I walked in, I knew I was home. I was safe. I was around people who understood. I am thankful every single day. My daughters are both grown and married and have seen the difference these 10 years in the program have made in my life. I hope someday they will enter the rooms themselves, as they are adult children of alcoholics. However, I know enough to know that that will have to be their choice. 
I also appreciated Diana's share about her mother's mental illness and her recovery around it. It was interesting because I finished listening to the episode as I drove to my home Al-Anon meeting, and then the topic of the meeting ended up being powerlessness and letting go of expectations. It was so much of what Diana had been sharing. Thank you, universe. After my meeting, I went to work feeling grateful and peaceful in my journey today and happy to be living just for today. Thank you again for the work you put into creating this show, Spencer. I know it means so much to so many of us. And thank you to Emily for giving a voice to the ACA program. It was so enlightening. I will definitely keep coming back. Thank you, thank you, Kim. Elizabeth wrote, With gratitude, a music suggestion, and an idea. Dear Spencer, First and foremost, I am so grateful for the recovery show and that I can access it whenever I need some guidance on a specific topic. I appreciate that I can devote my energy to listening instead of spending half my mental energy thinking about what I'm going to share as I do in live meetings. So thank you for your hard work and devotion to the podcast that has certainly enriched my recovery process. I wanted to suggest a song, The I, by Brandy Carlisle. Not sure it has been suggested in the past. For me, the whole song really describes my own experience of being in a romantic relationship with an alcoholic, as well as questions I wanted to ask my qualifier. The chorus, You Can Dance in a Hurricane But Only If You're Standing in the Eye, describes perfectly how joyous and passionate that relationship was, but only when each of our diseases are in a perfect and short-lived state of calm. The disease of alcoholism feels like a hurricane, unpredictable, powerful, destructive, and the epitome of chaos. I, too, wrapped his love around me like a chain, but I never was afraid that it would die, and didn't realize until too late how that wanting that feeling of security so badly was holding me down and preventing my own growth. As someone in recovery, this song really spoke to me, and I hope it will for others. On the topic of music, may I suggest a page on the website that just lists the musical selections? It would be great to have a sort of playlist of songs that speak to recovery in one way or another. Just a thought, with gratitude, Elizabeth. Thanks, Elizabeth, for the song suggestion. I don't I'm pretty sure we haven't played it. I don't remember it. Um, And it sounds like a great one when I find a topic it comes around to. And I have thought about making a a page of of the music. And, you know, it's work. (laughs) Um, I have to pick and choose where I put my energy. And that's, that's not where I'm putting it right now. I will say, however, that I do have an account on Spotify for the recovery show. Playlists for many of the episodes are in that account. The account's called The Recovery Show. So I think if you go to Spotify and search for The Recovery Show, uh, you'll find it. And there's not quite a couple hundred playlists. Sometimes I I didn't make one. But the playlists there often include more than just the songs that were in the show. It's sort of the whole list of songs that I was considering, that we were considering for the show, that we picked three from. So that's, that's maybe a shortcut. I'll try to remember to put a link in the show notes to the Spotify account, which might make it easier to find. Jacob writes about an important topic, which is violence, but maybe not the violence you're thinking of. Jacob says, first, thank you so very much for the work that you do in making the recovery show. It has been a source of strength and comfort to me as I've gone through one of the hardest periods of my life. I wanted to ask you if you had covered in previous episodes the issue of the Al-Anon member becoming violent in the relationship with an alcoholic partner. This is what happened to me. I had had a little bit of history of getting into fights in high school and college, and I certainly still carry a lot of anger and hurt, but had never come close to being physically violent with a woman in any of my intimate relationships, even under the most heated circumstances. 
In 10 years, I had previously stood in and blocked a doorway while arguing about a breakup, run off alone after a woman broke up with me and knocked a row of books off a library shelf, and thrown a hand of cards across a table. Those actions were bad enough. Then I got into a relationship with a woman who was not fully divorced from an abusive ex-husband and who was an alcoholic. Physicality started between us when I held her back to stop a bar fight, when I manipulated her passed out body while it vomited to avoid aspiration, and when she would try to get me to hurt her when she was drunk. Then it progressed to my trying to stop her from driving, wrestling over keys, and dragging her violently away from her van. At about this time, I punched holes in walls and broke through locked doors in my desperate confusion. I was maddened by the question, how is this sweet, kind, loving woman who promises never to drink again and to never hurt me turning into this monster again and again? Then on several occasions, I yelled and swore and grabbed her by the throat and held her down when she was drunk. I thought if I just yelled stop drinking loudly enough, she'd suddenly wake up. She'd see how much she was hurting me by hurting herself. I tried to call the police. I put a tracking device in her car, and I was convinced by all the next morning reconciliations that these perverse efforts were in support of her attempts to quit drinking, that I was helping. The relationship ended when she lost custody of her children when I came over uninvited to make sure she wasn't drinking. That's in quotes, to make sure she wasn't drinking. Then wouldn't leave when she drunkenly shouted at me to leave, all just hours after a normal sweet conversation on the phone when she was sober. I refused to leave and begged her to stop being angry. Everything escalated. I was careful not to be violent, but she kicked me, pulled a knife on me, then called the police and was herself arrested. That's when I joined Alanon. We got back together after that. She stopped drinking, but there was so much anger, guilt, resentment, and pain over what happened, especially for her because she couldn't see her kids but 20% of the time. It's never been the same. We're now breaking up permanently. She can't trust me anymore. I had for a long time been a stabilizing and healing element in her life, but as those violent episodes escalated, I began to become a destructive factor. Irrespective of her own bad actions, my choices have made her life so much worse. I'm ravaged with guilt and confusion. I showed such patience and kindness and forgiveness so many times before things escalated. I never imagined things taking these horrifying turns. Are there others who have similar stories, or am I a uniquely horrible person? Jacob. And Jacob, no, you are not a uniquely horrible person. A lot of us have done various things that we look at ourselves and say, how could I ever have done that? Whether it was physical violence or something else. My violence was directed not at the alcoholic in my life. My violence was directed at things, whether it be slamming doors, pounding the table. I don't think I ever punched a hole in a wall. There might have been, I know there were at times in the past, I'm trying to remember in this particular relationship, there were times when in in my emotions, I grabbed somebody and, and shook them, grabbed them to try to prevent them from, from doing something. I'm not proud of those things. It's hard for me to even speak them here in the privacy of my room with you all listening at the other end of the microphone. I commend you for being able to write that letter. That's amazing. In the 12 Steps, We find a way to get past the things that we did in the past. There's a process of the steps that we need to take in the order of the steps so that we have the mental, emotional, and spiritual base on which to build the the later steps, where we find in our inventory a list of the things we did, the things that we like, the things that we don't like, an opportunity to be honest about those things. And a pathway to 
changing ourselves to not do those things in the future in a way to make amends for having done them in the past. By going through that process, we can find understanding, compassion, and forgiveness for ourselves. And so I encourage you to to work this program. I encourage you to keep going to meetings, to read the literature, to find a sponsor, to work the steps, because I found healing there, and, and I believe that you can too. Thanks for writing, Jacob. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to The Recovery Show, but we do have expenses that run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear in a couple of ways. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Patricia, Lucy, Chris, and Elizabeth did. And thank you again, Patricia, Lucy, Chris, and Elizabeth for your contributions. We have put together a list of recovery-related books. Click or tap on the books link in the menu at the top of the page. If you order one of these books from Amazon through our website, we will receive a small commission. And I got a couple of emails recently about problems with those Amazon links, and I'm not sure what's going on there. One person who who wrote me recently said she couldn't find them at all, and I thought that was really strange, and I went and looked, and you know, they're there for me. Some of the book links seem to be broken. They just show up as sort of a generic shop on Amazon link for me. Um, and I have to look and see what's going on there. I, I repaired a bunch of them recently. Apparently, Amazon keeps changing something and the links break. I'm not sure. So I'm going to have to go and try to fix those up. But if if you can't find the links, if they're not showing up for you, let me know and I'll see what I can do for you. Because, you know, if you want to buy a book, if you want to support their show by, by doing some shopping, I'm all in favor of that because it helps both of us. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, simply direct them to therecovery.show, or just listening. We are here for you. The last song that I picked is more of a recovery song. You know, try to pick some songs about the problem and at least one song about recovery. This one's called Breathe. It's by Telepop Music. It was suggested quite some time ago by Stacy. We might have played it in an earlier episode, but it's been quite a while. And Stacy says, listening to this song reminds me that I don't have to fix anything right now, that I don't have to do anything right now. Just believe and just breathe is all that's required of me at times. And as I noted earlier, sometimes just breathing is what I need for my physical well-being. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time. 